Our scripture today is from uh, 1 John 5, starting with verse 6. Before we read, let's pray. Lord, we pray that as we read your scriptures today, and as we listen for your word, not only with our ears, but with our hearts as well, that we would be open to whatever you would speak to us today, that we would hear your words of mercy and grace, that, you would, that we would hear uh, when you call us to difficult things. that we would um, make your word real in our lives by responding to your call. In your son's name we pray. Amen. 1 John 5, beginning with verse 6. Hear the word of the Lord. This is he who came by water and the blood, Jesus Christ, not with water only, but with water and the blood. And the Spirit is the witness, because the Spirit is the truth. There are three witnesses. The Spirit and the water and the blood. <coughs> and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God, that He has borne witness to His Son. He who believes in the Son of God has testimony in Himself. He who does not believe God has made Him a liar, because He has not believed in the testimony that God has borne to His Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who has not the Son has not life. I write this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Uh, do you all remember those 3D uh, pictures, those posters? Wouldn't it be sort of a mass of colors? It came out about the time I was in seventh, eighth grade, I think. Uh, and you would stare at this poster, and as you stared at the jumble of images, this 3D image was supposed to pop out to you where you could see it. Never worked for me. I could never see it. You, you couldn't see it. Could anybody see those things? You could. I noticed that it's the people with glasses who could see them. That's but some good vision. We can never see it for whatever reason. Well, I, there goes my theory. I could never see them. I could never see them. And a lot of people could. It's frustrating when that image is popping out to everybody else, but it can never pop out to me. Um, well, you could be forgiven if you uh, are looking at 1 John 5, and you see this jumble of words and images, the water and the blood and the spirit and the testimony and... What do you do with this? At least at first glance, it's confusing, and I know it's confusing because I, as I studied this this week, um, it, was a, it was a struggle to, to, to really discover what I thought God was trying to say out of this. But the image that emerges, the 3D image that emerges out of these, out of these images, out of this, this picture, um, I think is to tell us basically three things. John wants us to know how we know who Jesus is. And knowing who Jesus is, how we know that we belong to him. And knowing who Jesus is, and knowing that we belong to him, 
what difference does it make? What does that do for us? What's the result of knowing who Jesus is? Eternal, I saw somebody whispered eternal life. Let's not skip to the end of the sermon just yet. Okay, but we're getting there. That's the answer. That's the answer. If you're reading close, you already knew that. That's where we're going. The water and the testimony of the water and the blood and the spirit. That's how John says that we know who Jesus is. The testimony of the water and the blood and the spirit. What in the world does that mean? I know this, it, I've talked to other folks and it is, it's common that this is confusing. And there's even disputes about it among scholars and whatnot. Exactly what this means. But this is what, this is what I'm convinced that it means. Let's talk about the, the water first. Um, one ancient Jewish metaphor for birth was water. It said that everyone is born of water. And you get that a little bit when you think back to John 3, 5, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and he tells him that anyone who wants to be in the, uh, you know, to have eternal life has to be born of water and the Spirit. The water is the first birth, the Spirit is the second birth. And water can, of course, refer to baptism. And that's, in fact, why the baptismal image works like it does. It's drawing back to that idea of the first birth, that a new birth is happening and that cleansing is happening. All that's kind of working together at the same time. But to talk about Jesus being born of the water and the water giving testimony to him is a way that John is talking about the fact that Jesus was a human being. Fully human and fully divine, but let's not forget the fully human He's a real human being who walked and talked, was born to a woman just like all of us are. Let's not forget it. You go back to the beginning of John's Gospel. Uh, the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. John says, don't forget it. Don't forget it. Um, and sometimes in ancient Christianity, and even sometimes today, people will think about Jesus as sort of like this floaty spirit who just sort of goes here and there and isn't like a real person. And, and sometimes various heretics have even said that. They said that Jesus didn't have a real body. He's just a, a spirit that appeared to be a body. Uh, John is telling us that we can't think that way. In fact, what we need to remember is that Jesus took on flesh. He was born of the water. He's born into this world like we all are real human beings. Some of you after church may go to the Mexican restaurant, and while you're there, you may get carne asada. Okay? Carne means meat or flesh. The theological word for this is incarnation, that Jesus is in the flesh, that the Spirit of God took on the meat that he created. John says, don't forget it. This, the testimony of Jesus has come to us from the reality that Jesus is a human being. And not only in his birth, the testimony of the water, but also in his death, the testimony of the blood. The blood is perhaps a little bit more clear. When we talk about the testimony of the blood, what John wants us to remember is not only Jesus' birth as God in the flesh, but also his death on our behalf. The testimony of the blood, Jesus has died for your sins. From, from birth to death, that's the image here that John is drawing on. That Jesus has lived the full scope of a human life. He was born just like we are born, and he died 
just like we will die unless he comes back uh, before our deaths. That he knows everything that it is to be a human being. And not only from birth to death, but all of that life lived in the middle. That he knows what it's like to be us. That Jesus has been born by water, that he has died in blood. That Jesus, the testimony of Jesus by water and the blood is the fact that Jesus is a human being. Or was a human being. Well, in fact, still is a human being. You get this a little bit too in the, the crucifixion scene in John's Gospel. Uh, when Jesus' side is pierced, what flows out? Water and blood. It's a way that John is reminding us that the full scope of Jesus' life is over. And as he dies on the cross, everything from birth to death is wrapped up in that, in that place. So John wants the disciples to know the testimony of the water, the testimony of the blood, Jesus Christ, the real human being. Now here's the, the problem, though. And John's writing this a couple of decades on. There are still some people around who saw Jesus in the flesh. For us, it's 2,000 almost uh, some odd years later. And none of us have seen the resurrected Jesus. None of us walked with him in his life before his death. So our experience of the reality of Jesus comes to us not from firsthand experience, but through history. Uh, and we have, you know, we have scholars, and we go back and read Scripture, and we look for independent attestation of Jesus to, to know that he really is, he really was, you know, a human being who lived in, uh, in first century Galilee and Judea, and that's accessible to us. But all that, that historical work won't replace the testimony of the Spirit. Because ultimately, you need the testimony of the Spirit to affirm that Jesus really is God in the flesh, Christ with us. And that was true even in John's day. Because people could very easily find ways of denying that Jesus was the Christ. They needed the testimony of the Spirit to give them access to Jesus as he lived and talked and walked. Notice what the Spirit does. It's the Spirit who points back to Christ. In John 14, 26, and then 15, 26, Jesus is telling his disciples that after he leaves, he will send them an advocate, the Holy Spirit. And in these two verses, there are three different things that the Spirit is supposed to do. The Spirit is to, one, teach the disciples everything, uh, two, remind them of what Jesus has said, and three, testify to Jesus. The purpose of the Spirit that Jesus will send to the disciples is to point them back to the reality of Christ. That even when Jesus goes, in a sense, the Spirit is still there with them to make Jesus real in their lives. And He can be real in their lives because of the, of the teaching and the reminder and the testimony that the Spirit will give to Jesus God in the flesh. Jesus who walked around in history. The Spirit is always pointing us back to the reality of Christ that we meet in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
that it absolutely matters that Jesus lived, and the Spirit is to sustain us in knowing that. So here's the problem with the way that a lot of times we talk about the Spirit. Um, you might have noticed that we human beings are fickle. Uh, and you might have also noticed that we human beings can like, pretty much justify anything. Okay, uh, And we come up with all kinds of plans and schemes and things that we want to do. And sometimes we take the things that we want to do and we say, well, God told me to do X, Y, or Z. It's really easy to take our desires and baptize them, if you will, and say that that's from God. Well, how do we know whether or not we're doing that legitimately? Because I don't want to undermine the fact that God still does speak to us today. And we talked about that a little bit ago. That's real. That's real. But how do we know if we're hearing God rightly? Well, John tells us that we can... We know that we are discerning a spirit of truth. If the spirit, uh, and this goes back to a little bit earlier in 1 John, uh, every, he says there's, there's false spirits that are out there, but you can know a true spirit because it affirms Jesus Christ in the flesh. Now John isn't just saying that the spirit has to say, I affirm the doctrine of the incarnation, right? Uh, what John is saying is that a true spirit that you are hearing rightly, is going to point you back to Jesus as you meet him, as he was in reality. And the way, of course, that we primarily know that now is through the Gospels, through Matthew, Mark, and looking at the testimony of the church about Jesus. The Spirit should always be pointing us back toward Christ. And if we think we hear the Spirit, but what we think we hear the Spirit saying doesn't much look like Jesus, we're not hearing the right Spirit. The Spirit is to put us in touch. To put us in touch with God in the flesh in Jesus. That's how we know that we're hearing the Spirit rightly. So if that's how we know the Spirit, by the testimony of the water and the blood, Jesus' incarnation is life. And the Spirit, the Spirit's testimony to us to put us in touch with Jesus, then how do we know that we're hearing Him rightly? How do we know that we're his? How do we know that we have anything to do with uh, God in the flesh? How do you know? Have any of y'all ever doubted your salvation? Probably. Almost everybody has. In fact, I think any Christian who's paying attention probably has. That is not a sign of spiritual unhealth, by the way. Uh, Frederick Buechner says that doubt is the ants in the pants of faith. It keeps it alive and moving. If you doubt, it shows that you're taking your spiritual life seriously. Uh, people, who, uh, people who don't doubt probably just aren't all that concerned. So doubt, you don't want to live, you don't want to stay in doubt forever. But don't go from doubt to despair. Okay? Doubt should lead us to, to faith. It's okay to doubt. Most of us at some point or another have questioned whether or not we really believe this stuff that we claim that we believe. That's not, a, that's not bad. Most of us have questioned that. Uh, and some of us have questioned whether or not, say we might believe it to be true, or we say we believe it to be true, that, that we you know, are saved because of belief in Jesus, but there's just this voice in our head that keeps telling us, well, you've done too many bad things for God to really love you. And yeah, 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 uh, you're saved by grace, uh, sure, but you've done too many bad things. And a lot of us hear that voice in our heads. And what we wind up doing 
is sort of navel-gazing, right? We're listening to our own fickle emotions go up and down and back and forth, and we just sort of circle in on ourselves sometimes, and that's when doubt can lead to despair. And what you need to break up that cycle of just worrying and wrestling with your own emotions is you need an objective outside testimony to tell you that you belong to Jesus. And that testimony comes, John says, from Jesus himself, mediated, coming through the testimony of the water and the blood and the Spirit. Verse 9, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God, that he has borne witness to his Son. He who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. And then he'll go on to say that he who has the, the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son does not have life. How do we know that we belong to Jesus? By the testimony of Jesus, and by the testimony of the Spirit, by the testimony of the Father. We know that we belong to Jesus, even when our emotions aren't there. And for, for time, from time to time, for all of us, our emotions aren't going to be there. But you can know that you belong to God when we quit looking at ourselves and our own emotions and look, and look to the objective reality of God, known in the flesh in Jesus, who then sends the Spirit to remind us to not look at ourselves, but to look back to Jesus. Um, it's kind of like this. Sometimes uh, I get up early, uh, earlier than the rest of the family every now and then. And, uh, and when I do, uh, sometimes I might need to comb my hair and I can't, you know, it's in the dark. I don't have the mirror, and, you know. And you never know, quite know if you got it right. right. Uh, you need something outside of yourself to reflect your own self back to you like a mirror. And that is in some ways how the testimony of the, of the Spirit works when it points us back to Christ. It's saying, look, I know what you think about yourself and you're trying to get all, your, all the hairs lined up, but know that the hairs on your head are counted. Look at Christ. And looking at Christ, that will reflect yourself back to you so that you know that you're His. We need an outside testimony. And the testimony that we have comes from God himself. And that testimony has been shown to us by Jesus, by water and the blood, and then by the Spirit making that real for us. In verse 10, some of y'all's translation might say, uh, he who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in his heart. Anybody's have it in his heart? I know that's the New Revised Standard Version. I usually like the New Revised Standard Version, but in this particular case, that's not the most literal translation. Um, the, the most literal translation would be, he who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Uh, when you hear in his heart, at least the way our modern ears tend to hear that, we think of our emotions. Uh, we think of, you should have a good feeling about it. But to, to know something in yourself goes a little bit deeper than your emotions. Yeah, it involves your emotions, but it's like knowing it in your bones, knowing it in your gut. And the only way you can have that knowledge, that confidence, is the assurance that comes not from looking at yourself and your own emotions, but looking at what Jesus has done. 
Yes, and how we know what Jesus has done is through the scriptures. Absolutely, perfect. Um, We uh, know what Christ has done for us by reading it, by reading in the scriptures, by looking back to who Jesus was, who He said that He was. So, what's the result? We know Jesus by the testimony of the water and the blood and the Spirit. Uh, We can know that we are His by the testimony of God that comes from those things, which of course is ultimately pointing us. Uh, or is pointing us to that through Scripture. And then, what's the result? The result, John tells us, is that we have eternal life. He who has the Son has life, and he who doesn't have the Son has not life. To have Christ, to receive this testimony, is to have eternal life. Now, a lot of us, uh, when we think of eternal life, the image that comes to our mind is what happens when we die. Or what happens maybe after the resurrection. That might be the way that we think of it. But for John, the, 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 the phrase eternal life, it includes those things, but it's bigger than that as well. The most, we've talked about this a little bit before, so it might be a bit of a reminder. The most literal translation of the word eternal is something like of the age. Life of the age. John is telling us that if we have Jesus, if we are His, then we have life in His age to come. So part of that is future. This is Ascension Sunday. Uh, And on Ascension Sunday, we remember that uh, Christ has um, not only come up out of the grave, but He has um, gone up on the cloud. It's the image that we get uh, in Luke and in Acts. And has gone to be with the Father. We're told in Acts that he'll come back in the same way that he went. So Jesus has been vindicated. He's sitting at God's right hand. We say that when y'all did the Apostles' Creed. He sitteth at the right hand of God. He'll come again to judge the living and the dead. We say that that Jesus is king. He's been vindicated. He's been proved right. So you can trust him. You can trust him. Jesus sitting at the right hand of God points forward to the day when he's going to come again and make a new heaven and a new earth. And those who belong to him can participate in it. That's part of eternal life. But eternal life doesn't just begin then. Eternal life begins now for anyone who is Christ. You go back to John 3.16. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and he's all confused about what it can mean to be born again. And Jesus tells him, That God has so loved the world that whoever believes should not perish but have eternal life. Have eternal life. If the second birth can happen then, that's when the new life begins. That's when we can begin to live like we are already part of the age that God is going to bring. Verse 13, I write this to you, John says, I write this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. You have it. You have it. And yes, that salvation uh, is there for us on the other side of the grave, but it has rushed forward to meet us so that we can live as Christ has called us to live. If we believe that Christ is at the right hand of God, that he's been vindicated, that he's been proven 
to be the true king, then we can live like citizens of his kingdom. We don't have to trust in our own power. We don't have to trust in the power in a way that the world would accumulate it and exploit it and use it. Instead, we can live as Jesus' people in the way that he's called us to live. To have eternal life, to have eternal life means that it brings transformation for us now. It means that it makes us into God's people, even here in the midst of chaos and confusion. In the midst of chaos and confusion, the kind of confusion where you're, you're looking to see that, to go back to the, to the uh, magic eye poster, you're looking to see that 3D image. And it's by the testimony of who Jesus is in his life that we meet in Scripture. And the testimony of the Spirit that makes us real for it, makes that real for us that the 3D, real life Jesus, the Jesus who um, walked and talked and preached and lived for us and died for us, where that becomes real. And the same very real Jesus who ascended in his body to the Father and that we're waiting to come back and make a new heaven and new earth, that same Jesus becomes 3D in our lives, becomes real in our lives when we hear this testimony about him and about ourselves. Let's pray. God, we